In this episode, we're talking to two alternative educators, where the walls of their classroom extend beyond the buildings and into nature and beyond. I'm talking about one of Australia's newest independent schools, the Nature School in Port Macquarie. Welcome to Raising Wildlings, a podcast about parenting, alternative education and stepping into the wilderness, however that looks, with your family. Each week we'll be interviewing experts that truly inspire us to answer your parenting and education questions. We'll also be sharing stories from some incredible families that took the leap and are taking the road less travelled. We're your hosts Vicky and Nikki from Wildlings Forest School. Pop in your headphones, settle in and join us on this next adventure. This episode of the Raising Wildlings podcast is sponsored by our friends at the Fun Fables podcast. Fun Fables is a great little podcast for kids with stories like the Three Little Pigs, Jack and the Beanstalk and the Gingerbread Man, retold in a fun and entertaining way. Just search Fun Fables, Stories for Kids, on your favourite podcast app or click the link in our show description. Hello and welcome to episode 13 of the Raising Wildlings podcast. I'm your host, Vicky Oliver. And I am joined by two pioneers in what can really be described as one of Australia's first schools whose vision is a world where children learn from and within nature, where the classroom walls really take on the entire grounds of the school and beyond. I'm talking about the Nature School in Port Macquarie. Their early learning and play programs include bush immersion for their playgroup, early years and vacation care programs, and they also have an independent primary school. Today I'm joined by two of their passionate staff. We'll be talking to Jackie Leach, who is the head of the early learning and play at Nature School, and we're also talking to Catherine Ullman, who is the founding head of the Nature School Primary. Now both of these educators are completely passionate about bringing their love of learning to the outdoor environment, and I'm really glad to have them both here with me today. So let's talk all things Nature School. Catherine, Jackie, thank you so much for being here today. Uh, the first thing I wanted to talk to you about is that, look, nature immersion programs are typically something that's often added to a school's curriculum or delivery as an additional or an addition to their formal educational model. What is the nature school and how is it different to traditional schools? The nature school is a little different to other schools around Australia, and that's largely because we incorporate more than just a primary school. So Jackie heads up our early learning and play division, and that includes our play group, an early years program for three to five-year-olds, which is a bush immersion program, and our holiday program, which is a bush immersion program as well. And then out of that early learning and play division has grown our primary school, which currently caters for children in kindergarten to year four. And that is kind of a hybrid between the bush immersion program that Jackie runs and what you'd see in a more typical mainstream primary school anywhere in Australia. So we teach about half the time inside and half the time outside. And whereas other schools might go on an excursion uh, maybe once a term, we go on excursions once a fortnight. We have adventure days where we take the learning beyond the classroom and beyond the, you know, the boundary of a schoolyard essentially mm. and out into our community or out into the bush. And we still teach and learn for the full day and meet outcomes and, um, you know, we're still driven by curriculum for that full day out in the community or out in the bush. So I guess that's one of the main barriers that we hear with educators or educational leaders that are confronted about how how we embed learning outdoors and also meet the national curriculum requirements. So how do you incorporate nature into your primary curriculum or early 
years or learning framework? And has it been difficult to deliver a nature-focused curriculum? I actually have found it quite liberating to be able to use nature as the lens by which we look through and approach curriculum. I am actually really passionate about curriculum development, so it's been a great joy for me to look at curriculum this way. And between, you know, our science and technology syllabus, our geography and our history syllabus documents, there are so many natural opportunities for us to connect learning for children with the natural world. So what we do, whether it's a maths program or an English program or an integrated uh, cross-curricular kind of unit, we use nature as the framework to approach that. So we say, how can we teach this in nature or how can we use nature to teach this concept so we're always looking at writing curriculum from or within a nature perspective I think that's brilliant and and I've been looking through the curriculum documents recently for a lot of different programs that we're looking at running and and also to be able to answer those questions and you're right there are so many opportunities and I think it's also opportunities that are, are far more connected for children to actually understand the principles of why it's actually in the curriculum when it's in a context that they can understand and and be absorbed in and engage in completely. So it's funny because even though that is one of the main questions we get from our perspective, I guess I I totally agree with you that it is, uh, it is liberating and exciting to be able to incorporate that in the outdoors. So that's, that's amazing. And I think that that's probably why you've got so many people, particularly after coronavirus and the whole isolation schooling idea knocking on your door at the moment. Would yeah, I be right? We do. We actually have a longer wait list than I have places for for 2021 already, which is a <laughs> delightful problem to have. But I think families are really saying, hang on, we've got questions now about the way our children feel about school. We've got questions about the way they're approaching learning. We've got questions about how they feel about learning and that's starting to drive them to schools that are doing things a little bit differently. You know, we have such a privilege in primary education particularly to really connect learning um, across curriculum areas and connect it deeply for children and connect it deeply to the world around them that they live in. And sometimes I think when we make primary schools into mini high schools and we hyper-schedule it, we really miss out on that privilege. And that's really drawing through, you know, what Jackie does in the early learning and play programs, the very child-led approach to the daily timetable. We're dragging a little bit more of that back through into primary where it actually really deserves to still be. You know, children don't stop being children when they turn five and they're ready for big school. I think we give up too soon on some of the things that are really important about early childhood education because suddenly we're at big school. Oh, you've really given me goosebumps there. I I feel (laughs) you 100%. Okay, so do you want to tell me a little bit about how classroom, like we have this idea that a classroom has to be a building. How are you challenging that at the nature school? This is a really interesting challenge for teachers because somehow we've we've all bought into this misconception that the learning environment starts when a child steps over the threshold of the classroom door and stops when they step back outside, like now it's learning time, now it's play time, stop playing, we're coming back inside for learning. Whereas here, one of our school rules is actually never stop learning and we really practice what we preach in that. So learning doesn't happen just in front of a whiteboard and certainly isn't dependent on an interactive whiteboard, you know, inside a classroom. Mm. I say to teachers, teach inside if you have to. Otherwise, please go outside um, because the Mm. learning that happens out there actually is different, actually is beautiful. And then when we go on our adventure days and we're in the bush or we're on a boat, you know, halfway down the Hastings River or we're knee deep in the rock pools, the children know that that is our classroom for the day because we never stop learning wherever we go and the learning Mm. isn't dependent on 
you know, a classroom walls to define it. The learning goes with us because learning is the goal of what we do all the time. It's not the process by which we get to an end goal. The learning Mm. is the goal. And everywhere we go, we never stop learning. And so we're not bound to a classroom because we teach and we learn everywhere. So in the early years, we're trying to challenge that notion even further by applying to be registered as a service that's completely outdoors. So we believe, and we know we, we can because we do it every day, that we can meet the education and, and care needs for children when we're outside all day. Hopefully we're able to continue this movement that requires the education system to look at the validity of bush programs because there are mm. so many educators doing amazing work all over Australia right now. Absolutely. There's similar challenges happening in some uh, some services up here in Queensland as well. It's a, it's a challenge that seems to be incredibly frustrating, especially when you know how, how brilliant your programs are and how well they work and how they can work within all of the policies and, and the frameworks that are already in place. And I also think one of the observations that we've found or the hindsight that people have told us about is that it's hard for people to visualise what it looks like, what the on-the-ground learning looks like or what a a day in the life of a child who is allowed to explore in nature and to have a lot more freedom around what they're learning. So maybe, Jackie, would you like to tell us what a typical day might look like for your students? Definitely. We're quite lucky um, with the Early Years Learning Framework and Learning Outdoors. We really can meet those outcomes quite naturally. So we're able to have a pretty relaxed flow to the day, which is heavily guided by the children. So normally in the morning we'll sit down, we'll have our morning meeting It's just a really nice time for the children and educators to be able to drop into the space that we're learning in that day. So normally we'll talk about our intentions for the day. It's usually a good time to talk about any changes that we're noticing at the sites that we're at. Because we move each term, we try to monitor each of the environments and the impacts that we're having. And then after that, the the day is really heavily led by the children. We don't have any set meal times, so we just encourage the children to be aware of their own bodies and when they're hungry or tired um, and we'll assist them with that at lunch times and, and rest times. But other than that, they're guiding their activities. So that might look like going on a big bushwalk first thing for a couple of hours or staying around base camp and, you know, creating a whole world and diving deep into some imaginative play. We might be around the pond or doing firework, tool work. It's, it's so different every day, mm. but that makes it so exciting. And um, we, although we call ourselves educators, I think we really see ourselves more as facilitators for learning um, because we're flowing on with what the children are interested in and just encouraging learning through their interests, really. Seriously, you ladies are like kindred spirits. Everything you're saying is resonating <laughs> so deeply with me. We said the same thing yesterday. <laughs> It's amazing. When people really start to explore the ideas of what they want for their children, I think that that will tap into something inside them as well. And and I think that it's such a, a brilliant thing for so many educators to be feeling this way as well and it's so, and it and I we, you've used the word liberating and I really think that that captures the essence of the learning for children but also as educators to be liberated from this traditional role of being, you know, and filling the empty vessel. Um, yes. It, yes, it's yes, something yes. to behold to just stand back and just know that you are being emotionally and physically supporting children in their own learning. Something that I've found that's really interesting is that even in um, staff who really want to come to a different school like this, for those of us, you know, I started my teaching career t- 
20 years ago. And there are so many things that I don't realize still that I do just because it's the way it's always been done. And, you know, deep down, I love this style of education. I'm completely passionate about what we're doing. And yet I still find myself sometimes catching myself out and going, well, hang on a minute. Why do I do it like that? And I'm always asking myself and the other staff at my school, well, why? If you don't have a good why for doing it that way, perhaps we should reconsider. Perhaps even we are falling into the way of doing things the way it's always been done and not challenging ourselves to have a good reason for doing what we do. That that is so critically important. And, you know, in a world where we're trying to get children to be critical thinkers and to constantly reflect on, on what they're doing, uh, it amazes me how the level of that reflection and that critical thinking that perhaps doesn't come from our profession sometimes. Yeah, and I think working in a centre like ours or a school or an organisation like ours, it really does require a high level of reflective practitioner to want to want to work here and to and for the learning um, that we facilitate to be excellent here. Sometimes people think that you know it must be easy to teach in the bush all day. Actually, this requires such a high level of critical thinking, and if we mm. want to produce you know. Know, children who are scientific thinkers and curious questioners and articulate communicators you know we have to lead that way um, teach that way and facilitate that way exactly I think that um, I'm in awe of the, the fact of how far your programs have come because you would be one of the few schools in Australia that have actually got a nature-based curriculum in an outdoor program I mean, there's a, there's a few independent schools that are d- doing similar things, but um, in terms of the vision and the mission of uh, delivering a nature-based program, I'd say that you would be quite on the leading edge of that right now. Yeah, it's nice though. Around Australia, I think um, there's kind of, I think you use the term micro-communities. I think there's little mm. micro-communities like us, just in little pockets, almost around each state. I can think of, you know, a great little pocket in Western Australia and certainly a pioneering pocket in South Australia and some down in Victoria. And it's lovely to see these pockets popping up and start to see the educators in those spaces connecting nationally because I think nationally we need this conversation. There needs to be a national dialogue about education in this country, in this place, for these children, and that's what it's going to take to really to shake up, I think, the education sector. It will, and I think it's important too because to really focus again on what we're trying to do for students. A lot of education talk talks around student well-being and student outcomes, or it comes really heavily from an academic focus. So I'd love to talk about the benefits that you see in your students because of because of the vision of your school. Yeah, look, I think we have an epidemic of stressed children in Australia right now. I think we have a lot of stressed parents too. And I always say that a stressed child doesn't learn well. Then they're not mm. in a, in the right conditions to be able to be successful with their learning. I think one of the huge benefits that we see here early on, and certainly students even call it out themselves if they've transferred here from another school, is that release of the pressure cooker, the release of that valve, Mm. and what that does to their well-being, but also what it does to them as learners. Yeah, well, at a quick glance, we've got some really positive mental health outcomes in the children. So we've got reduced anxiety, improved confidence, and as well as them being so much happier and relaxed once they're settled. This has the flow on for creating kids who are more engaged in their own learning and interests, as well as building their confidence and ability to risk take well and problem solve. At a deeper level, we we can look at the learning and development that we know is happening purely as a result of being outside. I think it's really cool that nature does create the setting for a complete sensory integration, which then has Mm. phenomenal impacts on a child's well-being and development. And I think that's really what interests me. That's That's my own 
why, I guess, for being outside is just seeing the different impact that it has on a child's physical, emotional and cognitive development. Absolutely. And it really does help them to focus in those times when we need them to focus. So instead of trying to get them focused the whole day, it just gives them that time to, to recalibrate to dip in and out of the different ways that, you know, we all naturally learn. Yeah, as you said, there's so many benefits and and it's not just in one area. It's the brilliant thing about it is it's such a holistic way of approaching learning in children. That's right. It's hard to fit it, all of the benefits into that one question. And I think that's mm. the best part is everything just integrates so well and so well with the early years learning framework um, and the mm. developmental outcomes. It just while our job is challenging and we love it, the nature of it does make it quite easy to achieve what we need to because nature really is the perfect classroom. It is. It really is. Now, something that we both have in common is that we really see children as activists and that they're the future guardians of the land and the way that our society will move forward. Uh, Do you want to talk a little bit about how you encourage that in your programs? Yeah, for sure. In our mission statement, we have this fancy phrase about um, children becoming active global citizens for a sustainable future. And I think when I first heard that phrase, I sort of thought that that's something that the children would grow into as they got older. You know, maybe by the time we have year six students, we'll have Mm. active global citizens. But I've really come to understand and appreciate, especially actually from coming in and visiting our, our younger children in the early learning program, that actually that's true for them right now that Mm. they do have a role to play in that right now and they do have a voice and things to say right now. And so whether it's a young child um, making the choices about what they do with the rubbish in their lunchbox or even having a lunchbox without rubbish in it or whether it's a year four student at the moment who's, I think my year fours have been doing a novel study on Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, but in that then they've been looking at cocoa farming and palm oil and fair trade and sustainability of the you know the chocolate industry in both of those cases children have something to say Mm. and and they have they have a really unique opportunity to speak some truth into that at a young age that perhaps we don't quite say the same way as adults and I think that's a really beautiful thing so we look for opportunities to to really magnify the voice of those children because it has a place in having impact in our local area. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's really great for our audience to actually hear how that works. So I respect so much any adults or educators who are trying to give a voice to children because I think it's severely lacking in not only moving forward and then that they are the next generation, but the, the pure fact that they are people right now and they have something mm-hmm. to say and they might actually have something that really adds to the story and adds to the way that we see things. And I just want to thank you personally, thank you for giving children that voice and hopefully spreading that model of holistic education with children. I know in your little community, but you're making a big difference by by stepping outside the box and delivering something completely different. The past year has been such an interesting time in history. And I've seen that the bushfires in particular were very close in your backyard. Do you want to tell us about that experience? Yeah, they were literally in our backyard. I remember the day I was standing on the deck outside my office overlooking the students and watching the smoke rise um, in the bushland just behind us. And I was on speed dial to RFS working out the plan of what to do. And on the other hand, I was on speed dial to Jackie because she was in the bush with our youngest children on that day. Yeah, so the fire started in June and gradually grew from there. Um, And over that time, 
Uh, Kath and I had a lot of fun talking each day, you know, monitoring the fires, watching the fire apps, reading the weather, reading our children, because as time went on, the fires got bigger and they got closer. And there were one of our sites was completely burned. So obviously we had moved sites before then. And then our secondary site also um, had a bushfire right on that. So, you know, there was a period of a couple of weeks where we did have to shut down purely from, you know, a safety perspective and actually from not having a site. Mm. You know, upon return, Kath and I were speaking every day, monitoring air quality, visibility, and, you know, that just became our daily routine for a very long time. Mm. And it wasn't just reading the weather reports and reading the RFS updates and reading the map and watching, you know, how surrounded we were by fire, but it was also reading the children through Mm. that time and really working out how to best lead and respond to the trauma for them. Because, you know, these children had a day where Port Macquarie Mm. turned red. The sky was the colour red I have never seen in my life. Um, That was traumatic for them. These these children all had bags packed. They've got yeah. a bag in the car with two sets of clothes, their teddy bear and their most important things. You know, what does that do to a child when you have to pack up your best things in one mm. backpack and you have to keep it in your car for days and days and days because you don't know which day the bushfires are actually going to finally kind of engulf our community Mm. and they know people who had to um, evacuate or who lost property you know there was Mm. the the day that we actually evacuated the school I was here till the very last moment and then that was the moment Jackie looked at me and said Kath we need to go hose your Mm. house and you know from one colleague to another you know she was the one that stood beside me on the driveway and ran to Bunnings to get more hoses because (laughs) I'd been so focused on the school I didn't have enough supplies to look after my home and you know and we stood together and hosed down my house while we talked about our next steps as leaders of an organization. So it was a really challenging time for us personally and professionally. But but also there've been beautiful moments coming out of it. You know, we were able to teach through and out of that experience. You ask any of the children from the nature school in Port Macquarie about this bushland area and the plants that grow here and what happens when they burn and they will tell you. They know what melaleuca burns Mm. like. They'll tell you that the oil hisses and sizzles and crackles. They'll tell you that the smoke from the green leaves is really black and that's why it's not good Mm. if you're starting a campfire because you want the dry leaves that don't burn Mm. black. Um, They'll tell you that paperback isn't really supposed to burn because they're meant to be in swampland areas and they only burned in Port Macquarie because we'd had a drought and it was so dry. You know, so we were able to use the bushfire in our area as a really teachable moment and, and that actually gave comfort to the children too. They had some understanding of what was going on and they weren't powerless in that situation. They have knowledge now that they can use and knowledge is always power. Oh, so powerful. Absolutely amazing to, to hear that story and to also hear of how we do empower our children because we can't shelter them from these experiences as much as we would love for them to not know what it's like to have to pack their bags on the ready to evacuate. That's not the reality. And all of those really important, we often call them soft skills, but that resilience and and how to manage our fear. Yeah. And I think then the next step for us was to give the children a chance to do something about what they felt. And some of the practical things that we could do here, you know, the primary students put out feeders in our bushland area, which had burnt because they understood that while animals had been able to flee when the fire was bad, those animals still returned and live in that area, but their food supply was gone. So we put out feeders. Um, We were able to write to our RFS and draw pictures and really say thank you because 
the early learning children watched the helicopters fly over again and again and again with the big buckets of water. Like you could almost touch them. They were so close. And we could say thank you to those people. And some of my students even baked for the koala hospital and took in, you know, brownies for all the volunteers who were working just incredible hours to protect our koala population in Port Macquarie. And there's a few koalas that are actually named after children from the nature school, which is pretty cool. That is so cool. Oh, I'm de- honestly, like I feel like I've just had goosebumps this whole interview. You guys are really inspiring and uh, I really, really can't wait to see more and hear more and have more conversations around this because I think it's just it's such a powerful way to show people that there is another way. So uh, we'd like to ask you a few little questions. So the first one I want to ask you both is what's your favourite book and why? Now, this could be in relation to education or it could just be your, your favourite fictional book. Oh, could I go first? <laughs> <laughs> so I'm probably the biggest bird nerd you'll ever meet. The students here are very good at identifying birds by common and occasionally by scientific species name purely because I'm such a bird nerd. So hands down, my favourite book would have to be The Australian Bird Guide, which is the best field guide if you want to get into bird watching, and it's put out by Syro Publishing. I actually learn more about birds from um, actually Nikki's son. Absolutely love birds, and he's my go-to guide. Well, if there's ever one that you and he can't identify, I'm your girl. Just send me a message. <laughs> yeah, we'll call on you for sure. That'd be amazing. And Jackie, do you have a favourite book? I do. Well, I can't choose. Educational, definitely Balanced and Barefoot. Yeah. Um, that is just my jam. But personally at the moment, Untamed by Glennon Doyle. Oh, my gosh. Loving it. Yes. Yeah. I love that. We, Nikki and I were both listening to that audio book and we were like, no, we have to get the hard copy. <laughs> yeah. Reading it again. Absolutely. Life-changing. Mm, absolutely. All right, this is a big one. If you could change one thing in our education system, what would it be? For me it would be the pressure for children not to be children. Something that Kath and I talk about a bit is when did things change where it isn't okay for children to have bad days? Mm. Yeah, I I guess for me I would change the pressure for children not to be children and asking when did things change where it isn't okay for children to have bad days. Um, As adults we have them and I think the expectation needs to change that children can't have them. And also, I mean, this probably comes from my own experiences with uh, neurodiversity and my own children. But if there was one other thing I could change, it would probably be that box that children need to fit in. Mm. I think I think an education system where, where every child has a sense of, of belonging is what we need. It is. And I think that emotional side of education really needs a, a lot of, we need a lot of support for our teachers to really understand that, I think, because I didn't know a lot about it until I became a parent and it became very relevant to me. And I think that needs to flow on more and there needs to be a lot more training about that because I, I honestly think people don't really know or are interested in that the psychology behind it? For me, I think my answer actually would be fairly standard and that's get rid of standardised testing. Mm, (laughs) Really, standardised testing has done no favours to children or to educators. Um, And it's not that I have any problem with assessment. I'm totally for assessment. You know, assessment has a really important role to play in education, but we can do better with assessment than just testing. And, you know, Mm -hmm. here at the Nature School, we avoid a test if we can at all, pro-assessment but anti-testing because there are so many better ways to assess what a child knows and can do and to work out what the next step is for them in their learning than to stick a test in front of them. And on top of that, it's just too much too soon. You know, we're testing children so young in this country and, you know, deep down I just know that that's not right. That can't be the the best mm. thing for our kids so if there's one thing I could change it would be that yeah 
Uh, yeah, I think that that's a resounding yes from us, from our end as well. After a big day, even if you have been outside in nature all day, where do you go to reset, recharge and just reconnect and, and reground yourselves? Well, mine's probably predictable because I go bird watching. <laughs> it's funny how even though nature's at the heart of what we do, it's still the place I also go to wind down myself. For me, it depends on how much time, either the beach or the bush. If I'm time poor, it is a nice long bath at the end of the day. Mm, that's Yeah, and it's so important to remember to do that as well. And even, as you say, we're out in nature all the time, but often we've got our own special places that help us to just breathe. Well, ladies, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Your words have deeply resonated with me and I know that Honestly, I'm like, in my head, I'm like, how do we get to Port Macquarie? I need to come and visit you right now. You're welcome. Come on down. Yeah. And if you're ever up on the Sunshine Coast, we'd absolutely love for you to come and visit us as well. Road trip. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there's nothing like having a good yarn to like-minded souls who are doing incredible things, thinking outside the box and delivering an education program that aims to meet the holistic needs of our children. The students at the Nature School really are so lucky. We can only hope that this conversation has provided yet another inspiration for schools to try something different and put the needs of our children first. We hope you've enjoyed hearing about the Nature School and if you think there is someone who could benefit from what we have to share here at Raising Wildlings, we would love for you to take a screenshot of the podcast artwork and share your takeaway moments on your social media playground of choice. We personally love Instagram. Give us a shout out and you might just see your feedback posted in our stories. If you'd like to see more Nature Play programs implemented at your child's school, then we have just the resource to get you started. If you head to the webs- our website at wildlingsforestschool.com forward slash free downloadables, you'll find our latest offering, which is a school outdoor learning checklist so that you can start to have these conversations with the teachers, the leadership team, your PNC, so that we can see better outcomes for our children. As always, we love doing this journey with you. So until next time, stay wild. <laughs>